walking through the book of Daniel, which we just started last week. And so one of the reasons we chose the book of Daniel is because there is this theme of living as exiles. So living in a country, in a culture um, that is opposed to us, but is ultimately not our own. And um, it kind of begs us to really kind of like look into ourselves, be introspective, and deal with some of the harder questions that I know personally I've dealt with in my life. Um, So a lot of conversations that I've had with pastors, and I know that I've talked with other people, is about what is our responsibility as Christians when it comes to like being in different situations? So what is your responsibility as a Christian in your workplace or in your work environments? Well, what about students? What does it mean to be a student now, and, and how are you supposed to live for Jesus um, in your school or in, in universities? Um, what about in your neighborhood? Like, what responsibility do you have with your neighbors and building relationships? Or if you have parents and you're, if you're parents and you have kids and you're doing kind of play dates, you've got kids in sports and baseball and soccer, like, what's our responsibility there um, to make sure that we're connecting and living out the gospel? But what about politics? Like, what is the Christian response to kind of like dealing with politics and social media in a culture that's ultimately not ours? And how do we live according to what God commands of us in a way that doesn't completely segregate us from the world around us? And so I think here's where we can kind of see a lot in Daniel, where he kind of shows us what happened during Daniel's time and how they were able to deal with it. Now, in true contrarian fashion, I'm going to start with the end of Daniel, and uh, we're going to go from there. So, starting in verse 46 through 49, we're going to see, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell face down and worshipped Daniel. He gave orders to present an offering and incense to him. The king said to Daniel, Your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since, he, since you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, uh, the chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. And at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to manage the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's course. So what could have caused this king, this king of Babylon, to react to Daniel this way? Now, if you remember from last week, we saw that Babylon was a giant empire during this time. It was probably the most powerful empire of its day. Um, And they had just conquered Jerusalem. So they went there and they basically conquered it. They took over the temple. They took the people out out of Jerusalem and they pulled them into their society. In fact, they even took the best and the brightest and he brought them into his courts. Um, Now, why that's relevant here is because this is Daniel. Daniel was one of the best and the brightest that was brought into his his court at this time. So essentially, Daniel was a servant um, of a country that was just conquered. And now the king is laying down before Daniel and, quote, unquote, worshiping him. Now, the the reaction in itself is not commonplace for for a king at all um, like he was. Um, a king did not ever put himself physically lower than anyone else. In fact, there was a lot of times that even in, in some weird situations, if a person w- uh, would even just like stand above the king or be taller than the king, that like some kings would actually put that person to death because of that type of symbolism. So for Nebuchadnezzar to actually do this was very significant. Um, now, I kind of want to explain a little bit about the whole worshiping Daniel at this point. It's not really worshiping in the way that we would think of worshiping. Um, in fact, it was more uh, akin to, get sin, to more of a, a sincere appreciation to what Daniel was doing. 
Um, and overall, there was acknowledgement that there was something Daniel could do that he couldn't. And then there was a connection that Daniel had to the Most High God that Nebuchadnezzar didn't have. Um, and actually, this isn't the only time in the Bible where we see God's chosen people given a place of prominence in a country that wasn't their own. So we see that with Joseph in Egypt. Um, you know, he, basically, Pharaoh put him in charge over all of Egypt towards kind of the, 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 the later parts of his stay there. We see Nehemiah in Persia. Uh, he was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And then also, you should know from your, the, the stories of, of Moses in Egypt. He was essentially an adopted member of the royal family. So we see time and time again God working in the lives of his people when they're in exile, in a land who laws and customs and culture were opposed to them. But it was never without cost, and it was never easy. And in fact, it was probably terrifying, which we're going to see kind of here in this chapter and then in the chapters to come. So the way that this all starts, and kind of the first few voices, that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and it's this really strange dream that is said is really troubling for him, and it kept him up at night. It basically said he wasn't able to sleep. The way this is written is probably this wasn't just like a one-time dream. He was probably having this recurring dream over and over and over, which was causing him to not be able to sleep. And if anyone here has ever dealt with insomnia, you know what the lack of sleep does to you emotionally. All right, it's, it's, it's definitely a rough thing. So he did the only thing that he knew to do, which was to go and grab all these wise men from these, these lands that he conquered, and he went to them and he said, listen, I need you guys to interpret this dream. And so what was their response? Their response was, yeah, tell us the dream, we'll go ahead and interpret it for you. He was like, no, that's not how this is going to happen. Like, this is a big deal. This is something that was really, like I said, keeping him up at night. This is something that was very important to him. He needed to know the 100% truth of what this interpretation was. So he says, listen, if you don't tell me the dream and then interpret it, I'm going to tear you limb from limb, and then I'm going to turn your houses into garbage dumps. Crazy, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of like, that's a big response. And so the Chaldeans, they basically responded back again. It's like, hey, listen, seriously, just tell us the dream and we will give you the interpretation. And which honestly is, is a reasonable response, right? Like seriously, because there, there's like really no way that they can know this. Um, but the king says again, no, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm going to ask. And they said, and their response here um, is pretty significant. So if we look at Daniel chapter 2, verses 10, verses 11, we see the Chaldeans answer the king, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great or powerful, has even ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not even with the mortals. So this is the Chaldeans' response. They acknowledged that what was being asked of them was way too big. Now, they, they were the smartest people of their day. They were very learned. They were very studied. However, they knew that they had limitations. They knew that the only person or the only beings that could know an answer to something like this were the gods, and they had no contact with mortals. It was their belief that their gods were untouchable. So how did King Nebuchadnezzar act to this? Well, he just ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon, including Daniel and um, his three friends. So that takes us into verses 14 and 24. So Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. 
And he asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is this decree from the king so harsh? Then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so he can give the interpretation. Then Daniel went to the house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, about the matter, urging them to ask God of the heavens for mercy concerning the mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. So the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens and declared, May the name of God be praised forever, forever and ever. For the wisdom and the power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. And he knows what is in the darkness and light dwells in him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we have asked of you. For you have let us know the king's mystery. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he came and said to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I'll give him the interpretation. So there's a few things you kind of want to pull from here. So number one, it says like, Daniel responded intact. He had this very metered response. Um, so personally, that kind of hits me a little bit hard with, with some conviction. Um, if I were in this situation with this kind of stress, obviously knowing, hey, there's this guy that's really here to kill me, um, my response probably would not be as metered. It would not be as calm. It would not be as peaceful. Um, it would probably be a little bit more on kind of the ramped up side of things here. But that, that's not what happened. The reason why um, is because there was essentially kind of a, a peace that he had through the situation. He knew God was in control. In fact, his first response after this is that he got together with his friends in order to pray. And this probably wasn't the first time nor the last time that they did something like this, or they had to get together in order to pray because what they were going through was so difficult. And there was probably many times coming out of their land and going into Babylon where they had to spend a lot of time praying with each other. Um, so this is something that was very, very important that we, we, want, we want to hold on to here as we look towards the end of the chapter. Um, then once he got the answer, he immediately turned to God and praised him for that answer. How many times do we go to God for things or we see God answer prayer and we don't immediately respond in praise? And I think this is just a great lesson that when we spend our lives in prayer, and if we are constantly every day praying with God, there's going to be a, re a prayer relationship where there's going to be praise being offered up for, from us, God answering praise and kind of this assurance back and forth. And it's when we don't do that. It's, all, it's when we kind of limit our prayer time to one day a week or on Sundays that we kind of miss out on this prayer relationship that God wants to have with us. It's the backbone to the, the deep relationship God wants to develop with his people. So the next thing is, is that when we see here, he, Daniel just did not advocate for himself and his friends, uh, but he also advocated for the other wise men of Babylon. He said, don't destroy the wise men of, of Babylon during this time. Now, think through this. How, how would you have responded to this? Right? Like, because you know, essentially, there was a, a, a lot of differing views between the Hebrew people at this time and then also the other Chaldeans, the other, the other wise men who were brought in from different cultures. In fact, we see later on in a few more chapters where those kind of same wise men were jealous of Daniel and his friends and essentially kind of put, set together a plot in order to kill him. 
But that's not how Daniel responded. Um, he didn't respond in a way in, in, like, in, in a way that culture would tell us how to respond. In the end, Daniel's decision was based on, was, uh, wasn't based on the character, actions, or motives of those around him, but it was rather on, the obe- on obedience to God. So now Daniel goes before the king, and in verse 27, we see Daniel kind of agreeing with the first part of what the Chaldeans said. He basically says, listen, king, no one on earth is able to make known this mystery to the king. And then there's another agreement. He, he says there's only a divine authority that can know this, but this is where things differ. He says, but I have a God and I serve a God who essentially makes mysteries known to his people. And so the Chaldeans believe that gods didn't dwell with mortals. But Daniel spoke of a God in heaven who reveals those mysteries. Here we see a God who is both transcendent and eminent, a God that is holy and powerful and is above all things, but at the same time desires to reach down and to reveal himself to us, to reveal his word and his purpose to us as well. He delights in making himself known to his people and desires to have a close relationship with them. And so now let's look at verses 31 through 35. So this is Daniel interpreting, uh, the, uh, uh, telling the dream and then interpreting it. So it says, Your majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. The statue was tall and dazzling and was standing in front of you, and its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly fired clay. As you were watching, the stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay, and crushed them. Then the iron, fire clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were shattered and became like chaff from, from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was a dream. Now let me tell you the, the king its interpretation. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds in the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you the ruler over all of them. You are the head of gold. After you, there will rise another kingdom inferior to yours, and then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over the whole earth. A fourth kingdom will be as strong as iron, for iron crushes and shatters everything, and like iron that it smashes, it will crush and smash all the others." You saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's fire clay and partly of iron. It will be a divided kingdom, though some of the strength of iron will be in it. And you saw the iron mixed with the clay, and the toes of that feet were partly iron and partly fire clay. Part of the kingdom will be strong, and part will be brittle. You saw the iron mixed with clay. The peoples will mix with one another, but will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with fire clay." So in the, days of the, those, in the days of those kings, the God of the heavens will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is a kingdom that will be left to another people. It will crush all these kingdoms and bring them to the end. But will it itself endure forever? You saw a stone break off from the mountain without a hand touching it, and it crushed the iron, bronze, fire, clay, silver, and gold. The great God has told the king what will happen in the future the dream is certain, and its interpretation is reliable. So here are a couple of things we definitely want to take from here. So number one 
It was God who had placed King Nebuchadnezzar in authority. This wasn't something that was just a happenstance. You know, it wasn't a situation that happened that God just kind of worked in in order to say, okay, this happened, so I'm just going to work through it. No, this was something that was ordained by God. Um, It was authority that was given to him. Um, And that authority was authority over people, animals on the land, and birds in the sky. Now, this is is relevant uh, because I think this is going to come back to play a little bit more in chapter 4 where Nebuchadnezzar is punished for his arrogance and is made to live and eat like an animal. Um, so come back in a couple weeks. You can hear more of that story. But this also lines up with what Paul says in Romans 13 when it talks about our relationship with governing authorities. He says we're supposed to submit to them. It says we're supposed to pay taxes to them. And get this, it also says we're supposed to respect and honor those who we owe respect and honor to. So if we think about that, how, how well do we line up with that now? When we, th- we think about essentially kind of the, the authority that's been given to us, either in, in this country or at our jobs or our, our, our local city municipal governments, like how do we react to those? How do we live in those environments? Are we submitting to those in this way where Paul is saying, hey, it's by that submission where we glorify God through that? Or do we put ourselves with odds at that? Now, the next part of this here, there's a couple things that I want us to bring out. Um, I'm not going to break down kind of like each kingdom and kind of what it can relate to in terms of the other countries. I'm not going to do that. But there's, there's two main things that we're, we're going to look at. Number one, Daniel was telling King Nebuchadnezzar that there were multiple kings and kingdoms that were going to come after, all of which uh, will have violence, war, and conflict. And they will continue to conquer and destroy each other until the second point, God sets up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and it will crush all the other kingdoms and bring them to the end. So now this, this kind of moves us back to where we see at the, where we started here with the end of Daniel chapter 2. We see the king showing sincere gratefulness. We see the king showing true humility in lowering himself below Daniel. And he even prays Daniel's God. Now, he did not yet submit to Daniel's God, but he did praise and acknowledge Daniel's God. And so the result of this was Daniel was being placed to rule over the entire province of Babylon. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also appointed to manage that province as well. And then through the rest of this book, we see faithful service to this country. Like, we, we don't see them secretly trying to take now this newfound authority in order to kind of, you know, subvert the government. I mean, think about that. That, that is something that would have gone through my mind. Um, it would have been, okay, now we've got this, this kind of government. We've got all, all of our people kind of in the higher-ups. We can kind of really start working things around here to free our people. Like, if you've ever seen the movie Valkyrie, that's essentially kind of what happens during World War II with this, this group of higher-up Nazis that were essentially trying to kind of, you know, um, you know basically kind of like rid Hitler of power um, and essentially kind of call, you know, bring everything to an end. Uh, but that's not what happened here. And it causes us a question is like, why? why? Why isn't that the case? Why didn't they try to do those things? And the answer is in a text that we read last week that we're going to look at again today. This is Jeremiah 29, 1 through 13. 
and says, this is the text of the letter of the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders. The priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King uh, Jeconiah, the, uh, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasah, son of Shaphan, uh, uh, Jeremiah, son of uh, Hikiah, didn't practice these words beforehand, so forgive me, um, of whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to King uh, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and the letter stated, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles. I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to, to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of that city I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf when it thrives, and you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them, for they are uh, prophesying falsely to you in my name, and I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. For this is what the Lord says. When 70 years of Babylon are complete, I will attend to you, and I will confirm my promise concerning you, to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and I will come. And, and, and You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So Jeremiah is telling his people to really engage and press into this culture. He talks about having multiple generations of kids during this time frame. So this is not going to be just something that, that's quick. They're going to have to really kind of plant where they're at. And he also tells them to pray for Babylon when it is thriving and not to kind of seek its destruction. So Daniel, during this time, the reason why he didn't have this this view of, hey, I need to be subservient, I need to basically try to um, subvert the government, it's because he was obedient to the word of the Lord, he trusted the promises of God, he knew that God would rescue them when they were ready. So living in Babylon was a form of obedience that Daniel gladly did for his God. So when, when I first became saved, um, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I kind of had a little bit of a sordid past. But I, I remember, like, talking kind of like with my pastors and kind of mentors during this time. And the big thing was, was like, hey, now you've got to remove yourself from all those people that you used to hang out with. Like, you're no longer supposed to be with those people. You're no longer supposed to kind of go to some of those places. And, and there, there is some truth and there is some knowledge in that. And we definitely have to be discerning. But that's, that's not what we see here. Um, what we see here is that God was asking his people to stay in those situations. Um, because there, there was kind of this view that if you stayed with those non-Christian people, that essentially their lives would make you dirty, that they would make you unclean. But what we see is that when God's people are in the world and they live obediently to his word, when they're humble and sacrificial, 
when they seek gospel community, and when they go to him in regular prayer and praise, then it is not the world that defiles us, but rather God, who would reveal the mysteries of himself and cleanse people from their sins. That's why it says in James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous man is a a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. We trust God through prayer knowing that he can accomplish any and everything. We can have peace and sickness and suffering and heartache and uncertainty and confusion because we know Jesus is in control. We don't serve a God who is far off, who doesn't concern himself with the struggles of man. We serve a God who has a kingdom that will last forever and invites us into that kingdom as members of his family. And this is why we take communion. There really is no better example of God revealing who he is through the person of Jesus. We see that in Philippians uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. So Jesus came. He revealed himself to us. He lived a perfect life in order to become the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin and our wrongdoings. And because of that, if we are part of his family, we will reign with him in a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that you invite us into a beautiful, wonderful kingdom that will last out every other kingdom on this earth. That we get to be with you and that we get to have this close relationship with you, Father, um, that others do not get to have. Where there is confusion, um, where there is worry, where there is strife, Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself to a world that needs to hear you and to see you and to know you, Father. We thank you for that, Jesus. And today, as we, as we take communion, that we remember that sacrifice. Remember your perfect sacrifice of your body being broken. That we remember your, your blood being shed to forgive us of our sins. Help us, Father, to honor you and to respond appropriately. In your name we pray. Amen.